Creek. It is, feels wonderful out there today. Hope you're enjoying the beautiful Sunday morning. As we continue our journey through the Gospel of John this morning, I want to ask the question as we begin, has there been a time in your life when you needed help? Has there ever been a time you needed help? Well, I think if we're honest, we'd all admit that there's times we all need help every day in something. Was there a time when you really needed help? You know what I'm talking about? When you really are in over your head, so to speak, and there's no way you can get through without someone helping you. It could be a project at work, a school project, medical crisis, even a time where you needed a first responder in your life. When was the time in your life when you most needed help? And where do you turn when you find out that you do need help? Friends, as we think about the Gospel of John, we think about what Jesus has been teaching us, we realize that we desperately need help to do what he's called us to do. When you look at the Gospel of John and the ethic of the Christian life and how we're supposed to live, we're way in over our heads. There is no way we can live out this way on our own, own, friends, and we need help. Particularly as we look at chapters 13 through 16, where we are right now, but these last few chapters, just to remind you, this is when Jesus was in the upper room, the night before he was crucified. This was less than 24 hours before he'd go to the cross. And in his last 24 hours, Jesus is teaching his disciples and has a lot of important things to tell them. And there's a lot that we've seen over these weeks, but if there's one theme that keeps emerging throughout these last few chapters and Jesus' last conversations with his disciples before he's crucified, it's simply this, that if we really do believe in Christ... Our lives are going to be different. If we really do believe in Christ, something will change inside of us. Some of the things that we've seen will change. We'll have works that will be an evidence of the fact that we are in Christ. We'll see answered prayers. We'll have a desire to obey. There will be growth in knowing God. There will be peace. There will be joy. There will be delight, not just duty. But perhaps all that is encapsulating the idea that if we really know Christ, there will be fruit. What we've seen over the last few weeks is there will be fruit, a transformed life. Our lives will be changed because we're in Christ. There will also be the fruit of us sharing Christ with others, letting others know who Jesus is as well. Think about all these things we've seen of what it looks like to follow Christ. I just want to remind us and caution us, this is not a list of do. This is not we strive and we do, 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 keep going down the list of things we need to do. This is the fruit, the result of us knowing Christ and Him working in our lives. And in light of that, in light of Jesus' own words, where He says, apart from me you can do nothing, friends, how do, where do we find the help we need to believe? Where do we find the help we need to live a transformed, changed life? Where do we find the help we need to bear fruit in this life? Well, our answer is in John 16. So turn there or find that on your Bible app if you're not there yet. We're going to continue in John 16 because we find the answer today to everything Jesus has been telling us. How do we live a transformed life? How do we believe? How do we bear fruit and see our life different because we really are in Christ? And the answer is very simple but very profound. Our help is the Holy Spirit. Our help is the Holy Spirit. There's one idea I want you to see this morning from John 16, and it's simply this. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do. He will work in us, and He will work through us to accomplish those things that you and I cannot accomplish in our own strength. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do. As we look at John chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 4 this morning. I want you to listen for two things. To listen for what does the Holy Spirit do in us, And what does the Holy Spirit do through us? So, okay, what we're listening for is what he's doing in us and through us. So John chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 4. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? John chapter 16, starting in verse 4. Now I'm reading out the English Standard Version. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, 
I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us. I thank you that you open our eyes to the truth of it. And, oh, Lord, I pray this day that your word would come alive to us. God, that you would free me and free my brothers and sisters from any sense of self-help or we can do this Christian life on our own. But, God, I pray this day we would sense our need, our desperate need for you. And we see that the Holy Spirit is the only hope we have to do what you've called us to do. And so would you open our eyes to the text? Would you let your word come alive to us today? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, John 16, I want to see Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do. So what's the context? What is going on here? We'll go back to verse 4. Let's look at where Jesus is in the conversation with his disciples. Back in verse 4, he says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. These things. He says, I'm saying these things to you. What's he talking about? He's talking about everything back from chapter 13, the things in the upper room. We're not looking at all of his teachings, but he's talking specifically about the things he's been telling them in the upper room, the night that he celebrated the Passover with them, the night he's going to be betrayed. These are the things he's referencing here. And he's telling them these things. He's reminding them of truth. He's teaching them new things. Why? Because something is about to change. And he's preparing them in his love for them for what is to come. And what is about to change? What's coming? Look at verse 5. Jesus says to them, But now I am going to him... Who sent me? And we'll just pause right there. But now, it's happening soon, friends. He is less than just a few hours away from being betrayed. In less than 24 hours, he will be hanging dead on a Roman cross. This is coming very, very quickly for his disciples. And this is a very big change for them. These group of men who left everything, who left their nets, who gave up everything to follow Jesus, who have literally for three years slept in the same room with him almost every night, who have walked with him along the roads, who have listened to his teaching, who have seen the miracles, who for year after year now, for three years, have observed all this and been with him, this big change is coming. He tells them, I'm going away from you. And it's going to be a big change. Not only is he not going to be bodily with them, but the world's hatred is now going to turn to them. For the last three years, Jesus has deflected most of it. He's been the focus of the persecution of the world. But it's coming to them now. Look back in verse 2, what we looked at last week, but just for context of what's coming for the disciples. Verse 2 of chapter 16. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Life is about to get tough for them. And friends, this is a very sobering reminder and a good reminder for us. God has not promised us as his children an easy road. God has never promised that life is going to go smooth and easy and no problems. God's goal for our lives, as you heard me say before, is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, richest, easiest, most comfortable way possible. That's not God's plan and God's goal for our lives. The disciples are about to face much, much hardship. But God is promising them help. And a help that is much better than riches. A help that is much better than fame or popularity. A help that is much better than any type of promise of prosperity in this life. He's giving them something so much better And he loves them so much. He tells them what's coming. You know, in fact, people are going to put you out. and People may even kill you. But I'm giving you help. And he loves them so much, he's going to tell them what is to come. And he tells us that as well. 
But are the disciples happy about this? Are they excited that their master's leaving after three years with them? Well, no. Look at verses 5 and 6 of how they respond to this. Back in verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these, these, these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus had already told them that he's going away. And it says that they do not inquire about where he's going. Well, if you go back to chapter 13, Peter does ask where he's going. But it's a selfish question. His question follow-up to that is, why can't I go with you? Peter's only looking at this in terms of what he gets out of it. None of the disciples, when Jesus says, hey, I'm going away, goes, what's the Father up to? What's your mission? What are you doing for the kingdom? They're not, they don't ask any big picture questions of God's plan. They're so caught up in themselves of how's this going to affect me and my life and my convenience that they totally miss what God is doing. And because they don't talk to God about it, sorrow fills their heart. And friends, this is significant for us on this because they don't talk to God about what they're concerned about and it turns to despair in their hearts. That's not the main point for us today. I think it's an important reminder for us. Friends, when life doesn't go as you expect, you can either talk to God about it or keep it bottled up inside and let sorrow take over. But Jesus invites us to talk to him. But also don't miss one other thing here as well. Even though they don't ask any questions of Jesus of what's going on here, even though they don't pursue him, he pursues them. He initiates telling them what's going to happen. He initiates with them hope. that They've not asked for help or hope. He initiates giving that to them. He initiates sending the help they need. He is going to give them grace upon grace, not because they deserve it, not because they ask for it, but because of his mercy and love for them, he's going to give it to them. And friends, there are some of you here today whose hearts are full of sorrow. It's not the same thing that this is going on with the disciples, but perhaps because life is tough. We live in a fallen and broken world. Other people's sin has hurt you. Your own sin has hurt you. The general brokenness of life with sickness and death and problems in the world has hurt you. And you come in here with sorrow in your heart. I want to encourage you just from this verse to take heart. God knows everything. He already knows what the sorrow in your heart. And He sends help to you. He will speak truth to you. He will encourage you, even as He did with the disciples here. And I pray that the words of the Scriptures today will be just soothing to your soul if you come in with sorrow. But even if your heart is not full of sorrow, the reality for all of us is life is tough. If you're on a mountaintop right now, even an easy season of life, life is tough. To live out the life that Christ has called us to live is tough. To walk in holiness in a world that tries to pull us away is tough. What we talked about last week, to try to share the hope of Jesus with our friends and family members who we love, who don't believe, friends, that is tough. Where is the hope and help for us in this Christian life? Where was it for the disciples and where was it for us? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. That is our only hope. Look at verse 7. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to give us the help we need, to give us the hope that we need. Again, look at verse 7 here. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It begins with, I tell you the truth. Friends, this is of great importance. It was to the disciples. Jesus was not going to be bodily present with them. They needed this. And friends, you and I need the same word as well. It's important for us. What Jesus gives us is to our advantage, he says here. The word advantage means for your good, for your profit, for your benefit. And don't miss this. The very thing to the disciples that seemed the most disastrous... The worst possible scenario that Jesus was going to leave them is the very thing that will be to their greatest benefit and advantage, profit, or good. God takes the thing that in their minds is the worst and he gives them the best out of it. And doesn't he still do that today as well? And taking what seems like the worst situations and brings such great good out of it. What is the great good they gain from Jesus leaving? They gain the Holy Spirit coming to be with them. Now let me just remind us, who is the Holy Spirit? 
The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Godhead. You know, God is one God, but He's Father, Son, and Spirit. All three persons are one God. There's one God in three persons. And let me just remind us, the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. It's not like from Star Wars, where you have the force and this mysterious thing. The Holy Spirit is He, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. In fact, in this passage, everywhere you see the Holy Spirit referenced, there's a pronoun with it. And the pronoun with it is always masculine. So it's very appropriate to refer to He, the Holy Spirit. He's not just, he's not a force, he's he, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead who is forever with us. And there's lots of terms to describe him, lots of titles, lots of names, but the one that begins in our text here in verse 7 is he is called the helper. Again, look back at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is what's so important. It's to your advantage, to your good, to your profit that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, he, the Holy Spirit, to you. What does it mean to be the helper? Literally in the Greek, it means to be beside us. The Holy Spirit will be beside us. But we know from the whole counsel of God's word, the Holy Spirit also is in us, filling us. The imagery here for us is one of ultimate closeness, of ultimate intimacy. That the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, is taking up residence in us and with us. That He will be right there with us. Friends, that means that we will never, ever be alone. I mean, think about it for the disciples. This is why it's so good for them. When Jesus was with them... If back in Mark 13, he withdrew to a solitary place to pray, well, his body wasn't right there with them. He could withdraw away and go away. No, he's God and sees over all. He wasn't always bodily with them. But now he's given them something better. He's given the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is still fully God, just as much as Jesus is. And he will always, always, always be with them. There will never be a moment they can get away from the presence of the Holy Spirit in them and alongside them with them. They will never be without help. No matter where they go, no matter what they face, no matter what they do, He, the Holy Spirit, will always, always, always be right there with them. But His presence is not a passive presence. He's not just some force sitting by watching. It's He, the Holy Spirit, who's very much active at work in their lives. As He fills them, as He dwells with them, He is very much actively working. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, the helper to us to do what we cannot do. Because he's not just going to be passive, he's going to be working in us and through us. How is he helping us? How is he working in us? Let's start with there before we look at how he works through us. How does he help us by working in us? We'll look down at verse 13 here. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Well, here in verse 13, there's another title for the Holy Spirit. He's now called the Spirit of of truth. What's he going to do? How is he going to help us? He's going to help us by pointing us to the truth. He's going to help us by showing us the truth, illuminating our minds to the truth. He's going to keep us from losing our way. And I love the imagery of verse 13 here. When the spirit of truth comes, he will do what? What's that word? He will... What does it say? He will do what? Guide. Okay, one more time. What's he going to do? He's going to guide us. Yeah, this is very active. This is not passive. This is him very actively at work in us with his presence always with us actively guiding us. Now, I know in this room, as I've gotten to know you, some of you are more adventurous than others. And for those who are really adventurous, have you ever been on an adventure where you needed a guide? Go rafting down a river that you don't know, and you don't know which rapids are which and how to stay safe. You have a guide with you on that river. Go hiking in an unfamiliar forest, and you have a guide with you on your trek, on your expedition. Go caving in a dark cave you've never seen before. You have a guide to help you find the way. When I've been to cities in foreign countries, when I've been to Beijing or Kazan, Russia, or Ho Chi Minh City of Vietnam, I've had a guide with me. Why do we have guides on our adventures? Because it would be foolish of us to try to find our own way. You know, when I took my boys to Mammoth Cave for the first time, which, by the way, you know they've never found the end of Mammoth Cave? 
With all the technology in the world, they cannot find the end of a cave that God made in the middle of Kentucky. There's no way to find the end of it. God is that big. So I take my boys to Mammoth Cave. I'm not about to go wander to a cave that they can find, they've never found the end of it. There's millions of passageways that they can't figure out where they all go. Be like, ah, I got this on my own. I'm going to find my way through the cave. I was really glad the National Park Service in Kentucky had a guide who showed me, you know, don't go down that way. We've never found the end of that tunnel. Let's go this way. We had a guide to get us through who knew the passageways and knew how to get us through the cave. When I've been to other countries, I've had guides. How foolish would it be me to walk around Kazan, Russia, without any idea of the customs, the culture, what's safe, what's not safe, to try to do the work I've been called to do there without any help. We needed a guide on those adventures. But friends, how much more foolish is it for us to try to live out the Christian life in a world that's hostile to us, in a world that opposes us on our own strength without a guide pointing us the way? We desperately need a guide as we live in this world which we're called aliens and strangers in, a world that is not our home. And God gives us that guide, and it's He Himself, He the Holy Spirit, the one who knows everything and the one who is Himself true, and He is going to guide us. He's actively guiding us as God's children. Now, how does He guide us? What does He do? We'll look back at verses 13 through 15, and notice how active He is. Notice the words that describe His action in our lives. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you get the idea of how he guides us? He speaks, he declares, he speaks, he speaks, he declares, he declares. What is Jesus doing here? Is Jesus forgetting what he said? Is Jesus stuttering and accidentally repeating himself? Oh, sorry, I told you that three times. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to say that the fourth time. Why is Jesus repeating himself? Because it's so very important. Remember, he began this passage, this section, of telling us, I'm telling you the truth. He's stressing the importance of this for us. The Holy Spirit guides us by speaking, by declaring. Now, what does the Holy Spirit declare? He's God. He can tell us anything. I don't want to put God in a box and say what God can and cannot do. The Holy Spirit can tell us anything. But what does the Holy Spirit primarily do? For the disciples, he primarily reminded them of Jesus' words. He kept the word of Jesus in their minds. When Jesus departed from them and ascended back to heaven, when they're standing at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit fills them, it's the Spirit of God who's bringing back to mind the words of Jesus to share with others and to fill their own hearts with hope. And what does he do for us as well? He brings the words of Jesus, the words of God from Genesis to Revelation back to our mind. He gives us understanding. He gives us remembrance. He gives us application of the words of God to our lives. Now, friends, there's a balance here for us because the Holy Spirit takes the words of God and brings a life into our life with them. So we need to make sure we're studying the word of God. We need to make sure that we are treasuring God's words to us and looking to them. But we also need to make sure we are seeking the Holy Spirit to illuminate these words and to breathe life into these words, and to make them come to our life and to come alive in our life. And friend, there's a danger of neglecting either. There are some who will seek the Word of God without ever looking at His Word. They want revelation from the Holy Spirit. They want the Holy Spirit to speak to them and show them things to come. And they never open this book when God has given us His clear revelation of how we're to live. Friends, that's dangerous if we're only looking to mystical impressions of the Holy Spirit. We're never looking at the clear revelation of God. But yet it's also dangerous for us to look at the Word of God and, not, and totally miss the role of the Holy Spirit to illuminate it and to apply it and to bring remembrance to it. We need to do both. We need to come to the Word hungry, but asking the Spirit of God to show us and teach us and convict us and, and tr- instruct us and guide us through the Word of God. And as we do both, as we seek His guidance, and as we go to the Word of God, He's going to lead us deeper and deeper into the knowledge of truth. 
Just as the guide took the boys and I through Mammoth Cave and got us deeper and deeper in the cave, the Holy Spirit, the more we seek Him to illuminate the Word of God, is going to drive us deeper and deeper and deeper into the depths of the knowledge of who God is and what precious help that is that He gives us. He's going to help us know who God is. He's going to help us know right from wrong. He's going to help us, friends, to walk in holiness. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do as He works in us so that we walk and know the truth. He doesn't just work in us, friends. He also works through us. He helps us do what God has called us to do. If you remember last week, God has put us here to be His his ambassadors, His mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit is going to be at work through us to do that as well. Look at how He works through us. Look at verse 11 of this passage. Verses 8 through 11. And listen to what He does through us. And when He, again the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. What's he do through us? He empowers our witness, our sharing the hope of Jesus with our friends and family who we love. He's going to breathe life into our witness. He's going to take your feeble attempts and my feeble attempts to talk about Jesus with those around us, and he's going to make it come alive through his power and his work. The word here back in verse, if we go back to verse 8 here of this chapter, it says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, convict here in the Greek was a unique word. It's a legal word that means to convict. It also means to convince. It's a word that can go either way in the Greek. It's a word that means he's coming to convict. He's coming to convince. And what does the Holy Spirit convince people of? He convinces people of things you and I can't. No matter how hard you and I try to plead with people, we can't make someone believe they're a sinner in need of a Savior. We can't make someone believe that Christ is righteous. We can't make someone believe that God is just. We can't do that, but who can? The Holy Spirit can. He can do what we can't do. He can take our feeble witness and breathe life into it and convince people of the truth of it. I think in our text we see four things he convinces people of. The first thing he convinces people of, he convinces them that they're a sinner. Look back at verse 9. If you look in the context of all this, in, chapter, in verse 8, he tells us he's going to convict the world concerning these things. Now, in verse 9 through 11, he kind of breaks those down. He's going to convict us, verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So he's going to convince someone they're a sinner. He's going to create, create conviction in their heart, sadness in their heart over their sin. And he's going to help people realize their greatest sin is unbelief. There's no sin that's greater than the sin of unbelief. And he's going to open people's eyes to the fact, convict them, convince them they are sinners, and their greatest sin is they don't believe, they do not worship God. He's also going to convince people of that Christ is righteous. Look at verse 10. He's going to convict concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. He's going to convince people of the holiness of God, that their sin had to be dealt with, that Jesus was the righteous sacrifice. This is what verse 10 is all about here, because he's going to the Father. What Jesus is doing is righteous. It's a righteous sacrifice on our behalf. He's going to convince people that the only way they can stand before a righteous, holy God is not on their own merits, but they can stand before Him only because they're clothed in Christ's righteousness when they believe in Him. So the Holy Spirit will convince people they're sinners. He'll convince people of Christ's righteousness. He'll convince people that judgment is coming. Look at verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, only the Holy Spirit can help people understand that Christ defeated the enemy on the cross. That judgment is coming, not only for the enemy, for Satan, but for all those who are bound by him, who are lost in their sin, for all those who do not believe in Christ. There's one other thing I believe he convinces people of, in addition to these things, and that's down in verse number 14. Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will convince people that life is not about us, but it's about God's glory. Friends, you and I can't convince someone of that. 
We live in a culture that makes everything about us. But He, the Holy Spirit, can work through your witness, your sharing the hope of Jesus, and convince others around you that life is not about us, but is all about God and His glory. Friends, you and I cannot convince people of these things, but He can. I mean, think of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Friends, the message of us being sinners, offending a holy God, but God loving us enough to come as a man, be born as a baby of a virgin, put in a manger, living a holy life, going to the cross, dying an innocent death, but on a cruel Roman cross, rising from dead three days later and ascending back to heaven. That is folly in the world's eyes. We can't convince people that that's not folly. We can tell them it's true. We can tell them the peace and joy we have knowing God. But we can't persuade them of that. Only the Holy Spirit can, and He will do that. He convinces people. But again, friends, there's a balance here. Because He does that through our witness as well. God has chosen to have the gospel go forth through our witness. God could write it in the clouds, but He doesn't. He uses God's people sharing the word of God, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit empowers it to open people's eyes. Think back to last week who referenced 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we've been reconciled to Christ and He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone who names the name of Christ is to be a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador who shares the hope of Jesus with others. And so, friends, there's a balance here. We have to be actively sharing Christ while we're depending on the Holy Spirit to do the work and to convince people and to open their eyes. And, friends, in light of that, for us to pray for people who we love who do not know Jesus... But to never talk to them, that's sin. He's called us to be ministers of reconciliation. He's called us to be ambassadors. Go back to Matthew 28, that he is sending us out to make disciples. Friends, if we are not talking to those around us about Jesus, we're sinning. Because Jesus has commanded us to go make disciples. He's commanded us to be his ministers of reconciliation. For us just to sit around and pray and hope and long and never open our mouth is sin. But on the other side of that, for us to talk to others about Jesus and not pray, not depend on the Holy Spirit, is folly. It's powerlessness because our witness can never persuade someone. Only he can. That's why last week I was encouraging you to remember our calling to make him known, to bear fruit, to share the hope of Jesus with others. And that's why I was calling you last week to begin by praying for those who you love who do not know Jesus. To begin by seeking the Lord to pray for them and to earnestly pray for them and to get other friends in the community of faith here praying for them as well, friends. Because if you will pray for them and you'll get your friends praying for them, asking the Holy Spirit to convince them of these truths, to empower your witness, and then you go talk to them, it would be amazing what the Lord will choose to do through that. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do as He works through us to empower our witness. And friends, what a precious help that is, that God can take our feeble attempts and use that to draw even the most hardened person to the gospel, to the glorious truth of who Jesus is. Well, friends, as I say week after week, the gospel of John demands a response. This is not just something nice for the disciples. Yeah, they're going to have a hard time. Jesus is going away. They're going to get persecuted. This is nice that he gives them help, friends. This is for you and for me as well. Because, friends, if we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. The moment you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit seals you for redemption. The Holy Spirit fills you. You have the Holy Spirit with you from the moment you trust Christ. And He will never, ever, ever leave us. But the question that then is, demand, is demanded by that is, are we living with an awareness of His presence? And are we seeking His fullness in our life? He's got us. But are we living like we really want Him to have us? Is He really taking control of us? In light of that, I want to see one more verse as we wrap up this morning. That's from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 simply says this, very short and brief. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Now, friends, in the Baptist world, for some reason, we get hung up on the first half of the verse and never talk about the second half of the verse here. But the second half of the verse is just as much a command as the first half of the verse, and even more important than the first half of the verse. We're commanded in the Scriptures, as Paul's writing the people of Ephesus, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Friends, if you look at the Greek tense here, this is an imperative. This is a command. This is not an option. This is not just for the pastors and elders and deacons and the missionaries. Everyone who names the name of Christ is commanded by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not an option for us. But the challenge with this, this is a command, but in the Greek tense, this is also what's called a a passive command. We can't do this. Someone else has to fill us. You and I cannot fill ourselves. We can't strive enough to fill ourselves. So we're commanded by God to be filled, but guess what? We can't fill ourselves. Only He can. So what does this look like on this to be filled? It is to ask God to fill us. We are commanded by God to, to daily be seeking Him to fill us, asking the Holy Spirit to take control of us. It's not that we need to get the It's not the Holy Spirit leaves us and comes back. We don't have to ever worry about that. If we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit's got us. But we need to be crying out to Him daily to take control of me. Why is it connected with do not get drunk with wine? Because if you're drunk with wine, you don't have control. Something else is controlling you. And friends, how much more so if we have the Holy Spirit in us, should we not be in control of our lives, but God be in control of our lives as He fills us, as He does through us what we cannot do. So friends, do we as God's children recognize our need for God's help every day? Or do our lives act like we've got got it figured out? We look at how much we pray, how much we think about, read, memorize, meditate the Word of God, how much we get other people praying, how much we're talking about the Lord. Does it look like we've got it figured out on our own? Does it look like we really realize how desperately we are in need of God's help? So friends, our question I think that this text demands of us is are we seeking daily for the Spirit of God to fill us, to control us, to help us all throughout the day? And so I want to give you a challenge for the week. Just like last week I challenged us to pray for someone we know who doesn't know Jesus. This week I want to challenge you, if you've never done this before, would you begin each day with a simple prayer? And that's a prayer from Ephesians 5.18 to ask the Holy Spirit to take control of you that day. It's not a formulaic prayer. It doesn't matter how you pray it, the words you use, because God's not caring about formulas that we use. But something to the effect of beginning each day with going, God, I confess this day my dependence upon you. I can't do this on my own today. I can't live for you today in my own strength. I can't walk in holiness today in my own strength. I can't share the hope of Jesus with others in my own strength. But God, you can. So would you fill me, Holy Spirit? Would you come take control of my life? Would you control me this day? And would you help me this day? Would you work in me to remind me of the words of God? Would you work through me this day? so that my sharing the hope of Jesus with others might find power in that. Would you do that in Jesus' name? I mean, it can be as simple as that, but my challenge for you, if you've never done it, would you begin each day this week simply asking the Holy Spirit to fill you, to control you, to work in you, and to work through you? Because, friends, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do in us what we cannot do and to do through us what we cannot do. And I'm convinced that if we will seek the Holy Spirit to fill us each day this week, by God's grace, not by our own effort, but by His work in us, we're going to find a week to where we're going to go deeper in our knowledge of who God is. We're going to find the Word of God coming alive and new insights of who He is. We're going to find strength to walk in holiness amidst the temptations that come our way. We'll find peace. We'll find joy. I think we're also going to find a burden for those around us who don't know Jesus. I think we're going to find passion to pray for them. And I believe in God's sovereignty. If we're asking for this, He's going to give us open doors to open our mouths and talk to others about Jesus as well. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us to do what we cannot do as He works in us and through us. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you don't leave us alone. God, that you haven't just created the world and 
given us faith and salvation and sent us on our own way to try to live in our own strength. God, that would be a hopeless way to be. God, I thank you that in your love for us, you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness. In your great love for us, you have not left us as orphans. You've not left us alone. But you've given us your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters. That God, the Holy Spirit's work will be very, very real in our lives this week. God, I pray for those who've never really sought the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives and His fullness. That God, perhaps this week, as they begin to obey Ephesians 5, 18, just begin to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me today. God, I pray you do things that they can't explain. There'll be such an obvious presence of you with them, that they would see the joy there is in walking with you. Lord, for those in this room who experience your Holy Spirit every day, who experience your presence working through them every day, would you remind them all throughout this week that the reason they have that is because of your grace, and they'll be quick to give you praise for it. Lord, our desire this week is that you would work in us, that our, our faith, our walk with you wouldn't be limited to what happens in this room, but the Holy Spirit would come in fullness, and all throughout the week as we lie down at night, as we wake up in the morning, as we're driving down the road during the day, as we're at work, at school, the Holy Spirit, you'll be bringing to our mind the words of Jesus. You'll be bringing to our minds the words of the gospel, the words of the scriptures, and they would come alive to us. Would you, Holy Spirit, be convicting us, challenging us, pushing us, growing us deeper and deeper into godliness this week? And, oh, Lord, even as we prayed last week, I pray this week as well, that you would, you would send us power to empower our witness, that you would send us the Holy Spirit, not just to work in us, so that we desperately need that, but to realize you're working in us to also push us out to work through us. And God, I pray this week we will see you working through us, that perhaps some of those people that we prayed for last week will start having open doors to talk about Jesus with this week. And God, you'll take our feeble attempts and breathe life into them. And God, I pray perhaps if we haven't even thought about that this week, that you would just, through the work of your Holy Spirit, convict us of that this week. And remind us that we are put here to be your ambassadors, your ministers of reconciliation. That's for every believer. God, we just want to be found faithful to you. Be found faithful to seek after you, to know you, to worship you, and be found faithful to make you known. Again, Lord, we confess this morning our dependence upon you. Lord Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. So would you send your Holy Spirit to fill me, to fill these brothers and sisters. We might leave this place, Father, focused on you and all week long focused on you because of what you have done and what you will do. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?